Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, Episode 69. Today, we're going to be revisiting a popular show from our business culture archives. In today's show, we'll be talking to Josh Allen Dykstra about his book, Igniting the Invisible Tribe, Designing an Organization that Doesn't Suck. He is the co-CEO of Forte, a consulting group that helps organizations and leaders leverage the power of a strong culture. Josh is going to tell us about the three secrets of employee engagement and how that can help you increase productivity and evolve your organizational structure to compete in an ever-changing marketplace. Good morning, Josh. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here today. And, you know, I just finished reading your book, Igniting the Invisible Tribe, Designing an Organization that Doesn't Suck. And it was actually not just a clever title, but a really good read. And I'm curious what inspired you to write this book. You know, the reason I do this work in general and and the place that the book comes from are, are probably very closely related. For me, when when you look at the status of work in the United States or even across the world, pretty dismal. So we we see no matter what statistic you measure it by, whether it's engagement or passion or uh, whatever you look at, it turns out that the vast majority of people are somehow disconnected, disengaged, dispassionate about the thing that they spend the majority of their lives doing which is just a huge waste from so many perspectives, from, a, just from an individual perspective to start. Not enjoying the thing that you spend the majority of your life doing is just a huge waste of one's life. And then uh, you look at it from the organizational side, and it's a waste from their perspective too, because people who aren't engaged and passionate about their work don't actually do very good work. So that really has been the driving force behind the book as well as the work that I do now is how do we create what I would call a work revolution. And so the literal meaning revolution, of course, is to turn around. So right now you look at passion, 80% of people are dispassionate about their work. I want that number turned around. I want 80% of people to be able to say, I am deeply passionate and connected to the work that I do. And that's what it's all about for me. Yeah, that's very inspiring. And I know that you're a frequent speaker and speaking on topics uh, around engagement and specifically the three secrets of employee engagement. Talk Mm. to us a little bit about cracking that code for the business owner. Yeah, absolutely. So I I think the first thing to maybe understand about engagement is maybe even debunking a little bit of, of what it's become. Because typically in an organization, what I hear is that the word engagement is usually followed by another word. Engagement, survey. And, and so we've, <laughs> we've, we've begun to make these two things kind of synonymous in, in many organizations. We think engagement and then we think, okay, we've got a survey, we've got to measure once a year and maybe twice a year if we're really, really you know, progressive. This is a complete misunderstanding of the way to think about engagement. When we think about it as a survey or as, as a block of numbers that we can somehow just quantify, uh, we've completely missed the point about actually what it takes to engage people in their work. And so the first thing I think we need to do to understand engagement more effectively in our organizations is to understand that engagement, when done properly, is not a survey, but it's a way of of leading an organization that actually is, is much like performance management. 
<laughs> Which so this is I think where we all need to go. So performance management in most organizations is usually one of the most hated processes that there is. Right, everyone hates doing their yearly review. Everyone hates the forms they have to fill out. Everyone hates the amount of time that it takes. Almost everything about performance management is hated in most organizations. Sure. So what I'm suggesting is really we've got a much better framework for thinking about performance. We just need to start thinking about engagement and the way to manage engagement as performance feedback. And those worlds need to come closer together and it would fix the performance management issue. And I think it would actually make engagement mean something again. Tell us how this works. Sure. So when we think about this, and there's a lot of different kind of thinking out there around engagement, but when you look at the studies of engagement from a macro level, you start to see some really common themes. And the folks who do engagement really well, and when I say that, I mean folks who have measured the specific drivers in an organization that correspond to actual business outcomes. Because you can measure a whole lot of things about what people do inside of an organization. That doesn't mean that all of those things actually impact your business's success. It's a huge downside to big data, right? Now that we can measure everything, we want to measure everything. Yeah. (laughs) So trying to hone in on what really matters and understand those correlations are really important. Exactly. And I think the other point is we just get buried. We don't have the capacity to absorb all of this data. Like we need to keep it simple in order for us to be able to function <laughs> on a daily basis as leaders, especially leaders of smaller businesses. Like we wear a lot of hats, there's a lot of things going on and we need to keep things simple. And so that's definitely the way that we think about it is what what's a simple framework for trying to understand what are actually the, the business driving measures of engagement. So if I engage my people in these specific ways, it will actually predict the future success of my business. So that's the kind of stuff that we look for. And can you give us an example of a company you've worked with in your consulting work that's actually employed this technique and the type of results they've had? Over the years, there's been a a number of companies that we've worked with at varying levels around the engagement topic. What the key is, is to actually start changing the leadership behaviors. And this happens at at varying degrees. You know, certain companies are more willing, (laughs) certain people are more willing to shift the way they think about leading than other people, as you guys certainly know. And so what we found is that engagement is actually very, very closely tied to leadership development. And so many times in an organization, what this work looks like for us is to go in and work with an executive team or a vice president and, and their team or, or some, some leadership group and, and really start to help them evolve their understanding of what engagement is about. What we find is there's a lot of deconstructing to be done, typically speaking. So there's a whole lot of misunderstanding about how this actually works. And so we've, got to, we've really got to teach some people some new habits and uh, help them think about, okay, oh, I really, I do need to listen to my people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's like simple things like that. But you know, just saying that is one thing, but getting a leader to actually adopt that behavior or that perspective throughout their daily workflow, like that's a whole different thing. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I should listen to my people. It's a whole other thing to actually absorb that and show up that way. And develop a system to make sure you're really doing that on a consistent basis. Absolutely. Yeah, so we would advocate for a a weekly kind of check-in 
with each of your direct reports. So this is uh, one of the best practices that we've seen is this weekly kind of check-in cadence where I'm just checking in with my people on a, a weekly basis. And it's a lot, not a, a long kind of meeting, but it's, you know, what are you working on? How can I help you? Kind of a thing. And that is hugely powerful, but it's shocking how many leaders can't seem to make the space to even to make that happen. And our regular listeners may recall uh, episode 16 that we did on leadership development meetings and really addresses a framework for doing just that in terms of regular check-ins. Mm. And it can, it has a huge impact. It's like a keystone habit change yeah. that really permeates throughout the organization. Josh, this is so interesting. What do you do when you're dealing with a business owner that has, in their eyes, created jobs and it's not their job to worry about the infrastructure or issues of the employees. They've created an environment, and it's up to employees to take it from there. Mm. Yeah, I, I do think that's a, a common perspective. Uh, again, I think it's a bit of a misunderstanding about what leaders do and, and maybe what leaders ought to do or need to do to run a business that thrives in the future. So this is a big part of our work too, and you know my work in the book, kind of referencing back to that. So much of it has to do with making our businesses fit for this emerging marketplace, which I don't get much disagreement anymore that the marketplace has changed pretty dramatically, even in the last ten years. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you know, most, most people can kind of look and see, oh yeah, business has changed in pretty big ways over the last decade, and and uh, we would say it's going to continue to change in some, in some pretty big ways. And so my question for business owners, if you really want a business that, that thrives and, and maybe even exists 5, 10, 20 years from now, then we have to start taking a look at what behaviors are going to create the kind of organization that will thrive, not in yesterday's marketplace, but in the world of today and tomorrow. And so what we're finding is that in those kinds of organizations that are really set up to thrive going into the future, is it's all about creating these environments that don't suck, right? It's a funny thing to say, but I mean it in a very literal way. Many of our organizations, without us you know, meaning to design them that way, the default position is that they're just kind of life-sucking places. And the challenge with that is that those kinds of workplaces don't retain the kind of talent you need. Those kinds of workplaces don't attract the kind of talent that you need to thrive tomorrow. Those kinds of workplaces, like, they won't be able to compete. And so that's the real issue here is if you want an organization that will be able to thrive and even just exist, we have to start building them differently. We have to start approaching our leadership differently and focusing on things like creating engaging places to work. And the business outcomes are very clear. And when you take this approach to your business, it's simply more effective by almost every measure. You mentioned engaging places to work. Could you give us sort of a visual of what that looks like and sounds like and how the dynamics of people working together looks at that point? Sure. So this goes back to the simple framework we mentioned a little bit earlier. Is For us, this an engaging place to work is built out of three primary ingredients. These three ingredients are clarity, humanity, and impact. Clarity, humanity, and impact. And so I can break these down really quickly. So what clarity is about is that everybody knows exactly what's expected of them, and they have the tools, knowledge, experience, support that they need to do the thing that's expected of them. So pretty simple. Do I know what I'm supposed to do, and do I have what I need to do it? Second thing, humanity. 
people need to be able to bring their full human messy selves to work. This is an area that we fail at pretty miserably in most organizations. We think that people can just leave that, leave, leave those messy parts at home, if you will. <laughs> we don't really need those here. Uh, <laughs> right. Like, we don't, we don't want you to be emotional or we just no. want you to shut up and color. Yeah. Yes. We, yeah. We just don't need that here. <laughs> right. Uh, when, of course, I think what we're starting to understand now through a lot of great research in behavioral economics and whatnot is we like to think that we are rational beings, especially when we're at work, but we are not. This is a huge, huge lie to think that we operate in rational ways. Human beings simply do not work that way. We are primarily emotional beings and we just can't help ourselves. And so the idea is to work with that human nature instead of against it. And so how do we create an organization where we really embrace the humanity of the people who work for us? And we find when we do that, we get tremendous results as an effect of that. Can you give us an example of how do you do that? Because we are messy people and that's a challenge. So what, what kinds is. of things can you set up to capture that element? Yeah, the, the easiest lever, and we spend so much time teaching, this is the perfect entree point. We spend so much time working with leaders and teams on this. Just start by focusing on people's strengths. This is the easiest possible way in to appreciate people's humanity. Everyone has strengths. And again, sadly, we don't do a very good job of recognizing those things and much less kind of putting our people in the right positions to capitalize on those things in our organizations. And I'd say one other thing on this topic is that when we say strength, we don't just mean competency. You know, too many times, especially in organizations, we use those words synonymously. You, know, you go into an interview, they say, what are your strengths? And you tell them what you're good at. Uh, for us, being good at something is not enough to be called a strength. A strength needs to make you feel strong and energized. And that energy component needs to be in part of the strength discussion, because you can end up being really good at things that suck the life out of you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and those, those things that you're good at but don't enjoy are not sustainable behaviors for you in the workplace. And so just thinking about what people are good at, it's not enough. What we have to do is start talking about, okay, what really intrinsically makes people energized and feeling strong in the work that they do align that with what they're good at. And that's where we really start to see the strengths effect start to take hold in your teams and in your organization. But by far the easiest way to start appreciating the humanity of people is take a strengths-based approach to your leadership. And there's a challenge there too, when you talk about some of our flaws and our default ways of viewing the world just as human beings, is we tend to emphasize and remember negative events more than positive ones. Totally. Yeah, they, they weigh more cognitively. Yes. Yes. So so this is this is a real challenge around making this shift. It is. It is. We we spend a lot of time on, on this work in particular because what we find is it's almost like the key. If we can start to unlock some of our understanding and shift our thinking from a very deficiency kind of fixing the gap focus to a, a focus of positive psychology and, and how to help people thrive. If we can help leaders make that transition, that just opens the door to creating these kinds of organizations that actually work much better. Awesome. <laughs> so let's talk about impact, sort of the third yes. leg of this uh, framework. Yes, thank you. So yeah, clarity, humanity, and impact. What impact is about is bi-directional in an organization. So what we find is that I join an organization because I, I want to make a difference. 
I feel like maybe I can make an impact on something by working here. But it, it goes the other direction too, and I think this goes back to your uh, your question earlier, Craig, is that idea around what's the organization's responsibility here, <laughs> right? And like, do they actually owe the people anything? And it turns out that this is the other side of what people kind of expect and, and what we find is that people go into an organization and they, they say, I want to make an impact. But I also want to know, does this place being here, giving my life, almost literally, to work at this company, is this impacting me in a positive way? And everybody asks that question. We don't talk about it that much. But everybody wants to know, am am I actually getting something good out of spending the majority of my life here? And again, that's not something that many organizations have a very clear answer on. Far too few leaders know how to respond to that question and say, yes, you will become the best version of yourself if you come work with us. Like that's just not happening nearly as much as it could. And it it turns out if we were to take that perspective as leaders of organizations, the people we would attract would be better. They'd stick around longer. They'd be more effective. They'd come with better ideas. It's always this like symbiotic kind of relationship to, to make it work right. And it's to Craig's earlier question, you know, I think that we are still so grounded, or some of us anyway, certainly older workers are grounded in this place of we're exchanging time for dollars. Yeah. And a lot of employers, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, have worked many other jobs uh, Mm -hmm. before they went out on their own. Mm -hmm. And they may be anchored in some of those very frameworks that they caused them to become an entrepreneur in the first place. (laughs) And they know what they want, but they're not always sure how to actually make that change. And they can become more cynical over time when the burden of trying to make payroll and trying to hire good people and Mm -hmm. you have a few people that don't work out and you internalize that and it can really lead to a mindset that can be detrimental to the thing you actually want to achieve. Yeah. I think that's really well put. And I don't think it's the fault of most of us. The reason why we work the way we do is not really the fault of most of us. For most of us, the way we work is it's kind of like parenting. <laughs> it's, it's, it's caught and not taught, right? Like my kids don't do what I tell them to do. They do what I do. And <laughs> right, it, it's the same way in the workplace. I don't do what the, my managers tell me to do. I actually, I just do what they do. Sure. That's, and so I think so many of us, to your point, uh, Shy, we've, we've got, we've just got a lot of bad habits and it's, you know, for whatever reasoning, we, we've got a, a lot of bad habits to try to overcome, especially in the workplace. I like your analogy in your book. You mentioned we catch whatever work styles our role models display, just like we catch a virus. <laughs> and it's really that absorption you get to, a, especially your first job out of college or, or anywhere. Yeah. What's the environment here? What's the status? How do I fit in? How do yeah. I make this work? And one of the things you mentioned, there's a lot of focus in the word tribes. How does that structure interface into today's organizations? Yeah, so I talk a lot about the tribe idea. And, of course, the, the book is called Igniting the Invisible Tribe. And the, the premise there is that for so long, the world of work has kind of been about coercion at some level, right? It's, it's about carroting or sticking people enough so they do what I want them to do. And <laughs> it's fundamentally coercive. And instead of taking that approach to work, what I'm suggesting is that there's actually people out there who want to do really great things. They're naturally motivated 
to make an impact in some fashion by using their strengths, whatever they may be. The true role of an organization in the future, a really good one, is going to be just to try to kind of gather those people who are on the same mission as you are and providing them some sort of structure, you know, a loose structure to be able to come together and work together in concert to do something that they couldn't do by themselves. But when we take this approach to it, and we're just kind of igniting these people who are already passionate about the stuff that we want them to care about. There's so much less coercion we have to do as business leaders. We don't have to try to make them care or show up or pay attention to what they wear or think about hours or like we don't have to worry about any of that stuff because it turns out they're actual adults with fully functioning brains in their heads that can show up and make good decisions. We've taken a very rudimentary approach to work. And I, I think what we do need to do is to start creating organizations that, as one of my colleagues and, and mentors says, we need to start giving people their brains back. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a great, great way to put it. <laughs> yeah. And so, so an area of, of great interest for me of, is, is along the lines of these self-managed and what some people call a participation age companies where people do get to come to work with their full brains intact and they get to show up with their full messy human selves, but they feel like they're participating in a way that we've kind of denied huge swaths of our organizations from participating. And for a long time, it's been a few people making the decisions and everyone else carrying out the orders. And instead, what we're seeing, I think, is this shift to a fully participative kind of company, which is pretty exciting. Josh, how would you compare that to what's happening at, at Zappos with the holacracy organization structure they use? What are your thoughts? So, yeah, totally same family, great connection. So Holacracy is kind of one brand of what is called self-management or participation age. You know, those are all from the same kind of family. Holacracy is just kind of one particular guy's perspective on how to build that operating system, right? So that's, that's really what we're talking about is management as it is now. It's just an operating system of business. And so for a long time, we've been running one operating system across most of our businesses, and it's this top-down kind of hierarchical management layers kind of operating system. And I think what we're seeing now is a whole lot of research and examples and, and even companies like Zappos who are willing to experiment to say, maybe that top-down hierarchy thing, maybe that isn't the only operating system out there that we could utilize. And maybe it's not the best. I would say that the research is pretty clear that it's definitely not the best, that there's a better operating systems out there. Man, after all of those decades, I went through that and I was told how great it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I like the analogy of operating systems. You know, it, it's kind of, a, you know, if you think of like MS-DOS mm-hmm. versus OS X El Capitan or, or, even, or even Windows 10, those are literal operating systems that have really evolved. Yeah. And could you imagine if they hadn't? Yeah. And we were still trying to apply, you know, these old systems and awful user interfaces to today's problems. We wouldn't expect that to, to be very efficient. No, no, we wouldn't. Yeah, it's a perfect point. And you know, I think that's one of the reasons why it, this challenge is so difficult, though, is because it's primarily invisible. Right? Your operating system on your computer is mostly invisible. Like You don't really pay attention to it because you're, you're just using it. Right? You're, you're just doing your work on it. 
you don't actually think about all of the the layers of complexity that went into building the operating system. And that's exactly what happens in business. We've got all these layers of complexities in our current operating system. We don't we're doing really focus on that. We're just trying to get the work done. Fantastic. Josh, as a business owner, where would you suggest I get started? Yeah, I think this goes back to uh, some of the things I talked about earlier around strengths being the best lever and the best way in, the, the kind of the key to get on, unlock some of this approach. That's exactly where I would start. Is just start by taking a, a strengths approach to the, the people that you lead. And you know, there's lots of ways to do this. You can use uh, assessments and you can certainly use consultants. And, you know, uh, we, we love to do that kind of work and help and support. Or <laughs> you really can just sit down with your people and ask them a very simple question, which is, when are you at your best? When are you at your best? And how do I help you be in that place more often? Like, is it really that simple at some level? Just sitting down and starting to have conversations with the people in your organization, how do I help them be at their best when they feel energized and competent? You know, both of those things overlapping as often as possible. And there's so much work that can be done. This is kind of low-hanging fruit in most organizations because we're just not talking about how to help people feel energized in their roles. And that's exactly the place that I would start. Josh, thank you so much for your time today. We've really enjoyed having you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Absolutely. Yeah. I think you know, if you're interested in this approach to strengths and one that includes an energy kind of angle, my business partner and I co-authored an ebook uh, that I think will, will be a great resource to help you understand uh, what we're talking about and then how to put it to work in your organization. And to get a free copy of the ebook, my consulting firm is called Forte. And our website is at uh, beforte.com. So B-E forte.com and forte of course means strong it comes from the root word meaning strong in latin so we want you to be strong so beforte.com scroll the bottom join our email list and we'll get you a link to download a copy of that ebook once again our guest today has been josh allen dykstra author of igniting the invisible tribe designing an organization that doesn't suck you can learn more about josh and download the free ebook, Energy Intelligence, in our show notes at businessownersradio.com. This episode has been sponsored by Align for Business. That's aligned, the number four, business.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business. <laughs>